asked, asked about my, um, how we're doing with my mother and everything, and I want to thank you for that. Uh, she did pass away Wednesday afternoon. Um, I was thinking about it during service this morning. So I, I've talked about this before. I believe that people in heaven can see us. <clears throat> I don't think that's, I think scripture shows us that. And so um, I wonder if my mom's watching this service this morning or a different one. I was just, just processing that. <laughs> Maybe she's always wanted to watch a different one. <laughs> so um, we, we're going to have, so we're going to have a service in the next week or two about this. We don't know for sure when. I, I, I can't imagine it'll be this week. Um, probably next week sometime. We'll let you know. We'll send it out. Try to, try to let you know what's going on with that. We're going to um, lay her to rest out at the VA cemetery here in Colorado Springs. So that's uh, my dad was retired military. <clears throat> so we'll let you know uh, whatever's happening with that. I did want to mention we had our business meeting Wednesday night. Um, we have done a few things. We did vote in to, instead of build the master plan building, we are going to be building something in between. We're going to be building, um, it's kind of like an expansion of this building, but, but really it's just, we're building another building and then kind of opening up a wall into the next building. But uh, you'll see the plans of that as it comes up. Everybody was looking at them Wednesday night. Uh, we're in the, basically the time frame is as soon as we can afford it. That's basically when it is. Um, I don't want to go over all the numbers right now, but, but, but I don't actually think it's like crazy distance in the future. Uh, we, we actually can do this. And so uh, we'll let you know a little bit more about that. We did vote in two new board members. Um, I, first, I wanted to acknowledge, I see uh, Pat is, is here. Is Dan here? I don't see Dan here this morning. But uh, Pat, back in the back, why don't you stand? Uh, we voted Pat out. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> no, we have term limits here, and so uh, he can only serve two terms, and then he's voted out. And then uh, Dan was also termed out, and then uh, we have two new board members. We have Paul. Oh, Paul's right here. <laughs> I would have killed him if he was a snake. Um, and then we have Jason. Jason, why don't you stand in the back back there? <clears throat> we want to see you stand all the way up, Jason. <laughs> That's a long drink of water back there. <clears throat> and then uh, we, also, th we also have something else. I, I see Asher. Is Amanda in here with the baby? Is she downstairs? Is the baby not here? He's, he's already in preschool? <laughs> he's like a month old. Um, Asher and Amanda had their baby. I saw they sent a picture like the day it was born or the day after or something like that. Um, they had a sumo wrestler. It was a beautiful little sumo wrestler. But uh, you can go by and, and uh, see the baby later after that. So uh, turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 16. <clears throat> this is the same verse I started with last week. I, I do, I, I'm going to say a little bit about this, but I don't want to go too much into this just because I'll, I'll get on a little bit of a rant. But, you know, we definitely, obviously, you know, we need to pray for our country. Um, it's, it's almost like a policeman can't do anything at this particular point, or he's the horrible evil and all this stuff. And I, I don't even like it when I see people put on Facebook, yes, we know all the police officer, the police departments need to be reformed, but, but not defunded. Um, that, 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 I don't even agree with that. 
I, I don't think that they need to be reformed. I think you've got some bad apples, just like you do in anything else. I, I just don't, I just, I just don't I want to go down this road too much, but there are, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people that are putting their lives on the line every single day so that you and I can be safe. And now we're seeing what it looks like when, they are, when their hands are tied. All, the, all this stupidity that's going on. I'm telling you, if I'm a cop right now, I don't know if I want to, if I see something going down, do I, go, do I go do something about it? I mean, think about this. This is, and it's not because of some kind of prejudice or, or the police or some kind of Nazi force. That's all stupid, guys. That's not true. That stuff is just not true. It's, it's, it's something much bigger than this that, that I really do believe that Satan is, he's doing this stuff. And, and I've been saying this for quite a few months now, but it's actually moving much quicker than I've actually been saying. The things that are happening and things that are going on to the point where now they're saying defund police and stuff like that. Um, I, sure, I, don't, I have no problem with that as long as it's like Los Angeles. <laughs> defund the police in Los Angeles. And you, you think, you've been wanting this for a long time, you think you wait until the police are defunded. Which, by the way, do, do a little history studying here. Do you know that's exactly what Hitler did? He defunded the police so that they could not do anything about his uh, revolution. Better pay attention. This is serious stuff we're dealing with right now. And, and most people, including many Christians, are just going, oh, it'll all work out. You better be careful. I, I've been in other countries where it didn't work out. We've got, to, we've got to pray. And here's what I, I still believe is the biggest thing the church has to do. The church needs to, to get on their face before God and repent. That's the first thing we need to do. And then get our focus on Jesus and pursue him with everything we've got. Because that is the only hope for us individually, and it's the only hope for America. It's not politics. It's not all this other stuff. The only hope for America is that we repent. And, and I don't see that happening. But that's, that's, got to, that's the only hope we have. You can't change this kind of stuff. You, it's, it's, it's boiling over too fast right now. You just can't change it. Every time a policeman looks funny, somebody's going to burn down another store or, or break in or do whatever the case is. This, is. this is the equivalent of Marxism. This is Marxism. It's not like, oh, that's a bad version. No, this is Marxism. This is exactly how it went down. Matthew chapter 16. Now I say to you that you're Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The two, the two things we need to look at is this last part. I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. This, this is the thing that, <clears throat> that when we look at theology, when we look at, at uh, the way we're supposed to look, uh, interpret the Bible, the way we're supposed to develop um, uh, how we live, how we think, all this kind of stuff... If it's, if it's biblical, if it's truly biblical theology, it's not some kind of a doctrine that a man has created, but if it's, if it's a biblical theology, then it will always be true in every single circumstance across the, uh, the entire planet, every country, every, every situation, and it will be true at any time in history also. That's how you know that this is legitimate um, biblical understanding. That's why, that's the thing. The reason that I say that a lot is because that was one of the things that kind of got in my head and started helping me understand. This was 20, uh, this is 25 years ago, 20, yeah, about around in that time frame. I was a youth pastor of a church that was really uh, getting uh, caught up in the, um, 
the hyper faith, name it, claim it, prosperity doctrine, all that kind of stuff. And I was kind of getting caught up in this too, more from the side of uh, healing and stuff like that. Um, and, and which, by the way, most of that is pretty solidly true. Jesus does heal. He does do supernatural things. You can pray about this. You can, according to Scripture, claim this. I mean, there's a lot of things about that. But I, but I just, one day I had to realize um, Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could all be millionaires. That, that's why, because that doesn't work in other places. That doesn't work everywhere on the planet. But did Jesus die on the cross so that we could be set free and healed and everything else? Yes, and that works everywhere. That's, that's legitimate, works everywhere. And so, so to put some, some uh, balance to anything that you're looking at, you have to ask yourself, is this, is this true? Can you take this and put it right in the uh, slums of India and this be uh, as, as theologically solid there as it is anywhere else? And if the answer is yes, then you, can, you realize and understand that not only is it true, but you've got the proper interpretation of, of how that scripture goes or whatever. And so when we're looking at this, it says that Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell will not conquer it. When I look at the church in, in the United States today, I don't see a church that hell is afraid of. I don't see a church that, that, um, that hell cannot conquer. In fact, um, I'm watching. I, 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 for me, maybe you're not seeing it the same way, but over the last three or four months, I have watched Satan kick the church around like it's a joke, like it doesn't mean anything. Like, and, and, and everybody just seems to be going with it and it doesn't matter. And, and well, yeah, we'll shut our doors for four, five, six, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And, and, and here's the thing, because I've actually heard this said out loud. Well, we got the government um, money, so we could stay close for a while if we need to. Guys, that's not, that's, that's, that's not the church. That's not the church. The church has nothing to do with whether you can financially do something. If it gets to the point where you can't financially keep a building open, first, first in my opinion, I've, I've had this discussion, by the way. I was, <clears throat> years ago, I was something in our fellowship that was called a presbyter, which is like a, a, um, a, 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 a geographical regional uh, leader kind of guy with no power. And, uh, <clears throat> and so... There was like six churches that I was responsible for. I was the chairman of the board for six different churches in our area and all this stuff. I was going to them, and, I, and we all got together with all of them once, and I was having this discussion. And we were talking about, why does your church get so small and you can't pay the bills and everything else? I, I can tell you the simple reason of that. Nobody's getting saved. That's the simple reason. If people are getting saved, you don't have to shut the doors of the church. Now, if something happens, like the government takes your 501c3 away, and you can't afford the property taxes and everything else, which would happen to about 80% of the churches overnight. That's why Obama was so strong about trying to take tax-exempt status away from churches. He ran it to the Congress twice. We didn't hear about this in America. Now, now guys like me knew about it, but, but it wasn't mainstream. Nobody was talking about it. But if they took their 501c3 away their tax-exempt status, they would, they would go bankrupt the next day because they can't pay the property taxes. Specifically, a church like New Life, think about what their property taxes would be. I mean, probably more than we bring in in a month. Okay? So why does that matter? That, that is the mentality that the church is not, the church has got, got the right, it's not the conquering hell mentality. It's can we stay open? Do we have enough money? Can we put more people in the building? Can we, can we do this little program? Or can we make people happy over here? And this is why churches cave so quickly when, when confrontation comes to them because first, they're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is not a Holy Spirit thing. This is a let's get people together thing. Those are not the same animal. 
Making sure that we're walking in the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us what that church should look like. He's very clear about that. What we have to do is we have to go to Scripture and say, what is our church supposed to look like? Not what culture says our church is supposed to look like. What, not the newest thing going on out there. Can we get this done? Can we do this? Can we be cool here? Can we, you know, this? I, I, um, I've, I've talked about these things for years. And so when we put a coffee shop in our church, I had pastors call me, oh, did you cave? Did you cave? Because I've been picking on those things for years. That we have to have the coffee shops. We have to have all the cool stuff. We did our coffee shop for one reason. One reason. Missions. Every penny that goes to that, which, by the way, we also supplement. <laughs> Every penny that goes to that, we, we give it to missions. It's not, it's not so we cool. It's so we can give to missions. You guys are cool just by showing up. You understand? I'm, I'm actually not joking about that. You're the, you're the people of God just because you want to serve Jesus, not because you got a cool church or things are happening, whatever. You, we've got to lose this mentality of trying to be a cool church. Jesus never tried to build a cool church. It wasn't his plan. It wasn't his desire. In fact, that was countercultural to what he said. Be the church that Jesus created us to be. And when we're that church, which means he's building it, when we're that church, the powers of hell can't do anything to powers of hell cannot touch you and your family if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your children are protected because you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Satan cannot mess with you because you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Jesus said. The church has got to have power. It's got to be a church that hell cannot mess with. Hell cannot mess with a church that God is standing between Satan and the church. That means we're following God. We're following Jesus. We're doing what, they've said, what, what Jesus has told us to do. And so we've got to make sure. Now, in the beginning of Revelation, the first chapter, it, it, there's all the, I didn't read this last week. I'm not going to read it this week, but you can go back and read it later. Um, it talks about the seven lampstands, and, and the Lord comes and, and stands in the middle of the seven lampstands. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches that he's writing to. The book of Revelation was written to seven churches. Okay, This is important when you're trying to understand the book of Revelation. We really like to look... At, at Revelation is like a um, like this mystical ooh, book that's got all this weird, scary stuff in it. It was written to seven churches then, and yes, there was a lot that they went, "What is this talking about?" It's outside of our scope of understanding, but we know that it's it's supposed to do what? Book of Revelation is supposed to do one thing: it's supposed to get your eyes on Jesus, get your eyes off all of the stuff, all the world, and get your eyes on Jesus. That's the goal. Okay. It's not about all of the... the we, we spend so much time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. You don't have to know who the Antichrist is if you know who Jesus is. That it, just knowing who Jesus is is the answer. It's not, it's not all the other stuff. The Antichrist is going to do what he's doing. He's, and, and by the way, I believe he's alive and well right now, and I believe he's getting ready to step into a position of power right now. You want me to tell you who he is? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who he is. So I'm like, yes. <laughs> I don't know who he is. But, but, he, but, he, but he's working and he's doing the stuff and he's getting ready. He's getting ready to, to mess with us. But here's the thing. You don't have to worry about who he is if you know Jesus. Know who Jesus is. Focus on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus, okay? That's the point of the book of Revelation. Now, the fact that it says that uh, Jesus is in the middle of these lampstands, uh, means that these are legitimate churches. It doesn't mean they're great churches. It just means they're legitimate churches, okay? And these are the churches in that area, and, G and Jesus has John write this book and send it out to all these churches, okay? 
Um, the, the point, again, is to, to focus on Jesus. And he's writing to these, these seven churches. These are, these are legitimate churches. They're not great churches. They're legitimate churches because Jesus' spirit is with them. And he's telling them, these are the things that you need to change. Right? This is important for us because there is no such thing as a perfect church. There's never going to be. I'm saying local church. The body of Christ is covered with the blood of Jesus. That makes us amazingly perfect in God's eyes. But how we do things, we get caught up in ourselves. We do stuff we're not supposed to, that kind of thing. And that's why he wrote the book, to get their attention and say, this is serious. And then he says, and it's so serious, let me tell you how serious it's going to get. That's the prophetic part of this. Churches pay attention right now because something's coming in the future. That's the point. And that's the same thing that Jesus would try to tell us right now, is I, you... You need to get your eyes on Jesus because something is coming, right? That's important. Now, with that said, let's go to the second church and let's look at the second church. And, I, and I've always thought that it's very interesting. This has always been the thing for me uh, with these churches, the seven churches, is the descriptors for these churches are in just a few sentences. Every single church, Jesus lays it out in a few sentences, this isn't this long, drawn-out thing that Jesus is saying, now you do this okay, and I'd like to change your strategics uh, over here, your strategy over here, and your logistics over here, and this is how you do the money, this is how you do it. The Lord doesn't do that. He said, this is, this is the, the two or three basic things. Last week, you, you've, you've fallen out of love with me. Get back in love with me. Do that. These are very simplistic understanding of the church. And our responsibility is, okay, Jesus, who do you want me to be? Now, let's go to it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. <clears throat> Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the, who, who knew that was, what is that, Mississippi? Smyrna, Mississippi? Del Delaware? Tennessee? <laughs> um, that's why the first time everybody was talking about Odessa, that's a person I knew. I don't know, that was in Russia. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Smyrna. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last. That is, that is a great way to introduce yourself, is it not? You can't introduce yourself that way. And Jesus says, I'm writing this to the church, and let me tell you who I am. I'm the beginning of everything, and I'm the end of everything. When you're looking at all the stuff that's going on right now in our country, remember Jesus is the beginning of everything, and he's the end of everything, and that never, ever changes. He is not, Jesus is not caught off guard by anything going on in our country right now. And he's not less powerful than anything going on in our country. We've got to keep that in our mind and in our spirit. He says, <clears throat> this is the message from the one who is the first and the last who was dead but is now alive. You also can't say that. But he can. That's, it doesn't get more powerful than that. You know Jesus can take care of you because he rose from the dead. That moment, I don't think we always process this properly, but that moment when Jesus dies on the cross, physically his body stops living. That From that moment, now Satan has done everything he can at this point to get Jesus dead, physically dead. Now, he doesn't realize, Satan. even though Satan can read the book, he doesn't seem to pay attention. Yes, he succeeded in getting Jesus physically dead, although that really was Jesus' decision. He just let Satan think it was his. 
From that moment, now, now think about this. Three days later, he, he raises from the dead. Every, every demon in hell, Satan himself, was doing everything possible to keep Jesus in that grave. Every demon, not one demon, every demon, every power of hell, everything that Satan had at his, at his resource was to, to keep Jesus in the grave. And he couldn't do it. Jesus rose from the dead. Through all of the power that Satan was trying to, to wield at that moment. Now why is that important? Because Satan is never ever going to take all of his resources and, and expend them just on you. He did for Jesus, but he's not going to do that for you. So if Jesus is big enough to get out of that himself with all of that, he can definitely rescue you at any moment, under any circumstance. doesn't matter. Satan is not big enough to mess with you. Now here's the key. we got to know that. That's, that's always the key. This is always the, the reality for us as Christians. You are serving the Jesus that you have allowed to, to let your eyes and your spirit see. That, that is, that's important to understand. Now, when I say that sometimes, we think, well, no, Jesus is big. Enough. Yes, Jesus is big. He's, he's everything. But you can't see all of that. I can't see all of that. As humans, we get glimpses of how big Jesus is. The more you study his word, the bigger those visuals are, the bigger that faith understanding is. But you're not going to see the fullness of Jesus. And so, therefore, you're serving Jesus the way your mind and your spirit understands who he is, which is extremely limited. That's why you should always be trying to expand your horizons because Jesus is way bigger than you are allowing him to be right now. No matter who you are and how good of a Christian you are, you, Jesus is way bigger than you're allowing him to be. So try to figure out how to get your eyes and your spirit open through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to see him as bigger than whatever you're dealing with, to understand that he is more powerful than whatever you're dealing with. This, this, I believe this is the, the, one of the biggest priorities for a Christian is God help me to see you the way you want me to see you. Not the way I design you. Not the way I've limited you. Not the, the, the creation I have created that I call you. But help me see you. Break that off and help me see you. You will always be limited. Always be limited to how you understand Jesus. So understand him bigger. <clears throat> he says in verse 9, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. I love that sentence. I, I, I've thought about this in many ways over the years. I know about it in my personal life. I know about it in church settings. I know about it. Our church does not um, overly struggle financially right now. In fact, we talked about this um, at the business meeting Wednesday night. We are actually doing better right now than probably the eight years I've been here. Uh, we're, financially, we're just doing good. Now, this comes from a couple things. One is our percentage of people in our church that tithe is way higher than most churches. Okay? Most churches, less than 10% of the people tithe. Think about that number financially. And let me just throw this out here so there's no confusion. If you don't tithe, you're really struggling in your relationship with the Lord. You just don't know it, but you are. You need to tithe. Tithing is one of the most important things in your relationship with God. Because money is such a big deal to us, and that is proof that you really are surrendering in the area of finances, which means everything. Are you, do, are you surrendering in everything or just some things? Okay? Now, um, with that, we, we're not struggling financially. Around here, we're doing very well. 
Now, some of it's because the government's just throwing money at things right now, and we're standing in the way of every bit of it. <clears throat> People keep asking me, are you going to take that? These are other pastors, because they, they know I'm a man of principle. Um, <clears throat> I am. I, that's, I mean, I am. But So they'll, they'll run this by me every now and then, and I've had quite a few pastors. Are you going to take the government money that they're giving out? Yes. But isn't that socialism? Yes. Do you believe in socialism? No, but I believe in taking money. I'll vote against it. When somebody says, do you think this is right? I'll say, no, stop doing it. Stop giving this money out. It is stupid. It is socialism. And we're, and we're going to pay for it. I've said this to so many people that take their $1,200 and like, woo, this has been great, great pandemic. We got $1,200. I'm like, do you have any clue what you just said? You know how much that $1,200 cost you and is going to cost you? It's not free. But we will take it every time the government gives it. So... I know about your suffering, your poverty. I have been in churches, specifically the first church I was ever lead pastor. I was down in Rocky Ford, which is about an hour and a half kind of southwest, east of here. Uh, those rural communities are very difficult to pastor in, extremely difficult. Uh, it's diff- Most of the people down there are minimum wage, migrant workers, those kind of things. You, you just don't have a lot of money in those contexts. It's very difficult. When our church went over about 100 is when we first started um, seeing a little bit of relaxingness in finances. And uh, it's just difficult. I know what it is to pastor in a setting that is, that is financially poor and at the same time spiritually rich, spiritually powerfully rich. To, to, to see people getting saved and healed and all the stuff that we saw during that time frame. Uh, we couldn't, we couldn't, in fact, the very first day when I went to, I was 26 years old, and they're going to vote me in, and I'm sitting there, and they, we've had these services, we've done all this stuff, I preach, and then the board's having this meeting, and, I, and I'm just kind of wandering around the church, and I go into the church office, and there's these books sitting on the church, the, one of the desks in the, in the pastor's office, and I'm flipping through the books, and I realize these are the financials, so now I'm interested, and so I'm looking at them, and I realize, as of that morning, they were $900 in the red. I'm like, where is my salary going to come from? I know what it is to be poor, but man, spiritually rich. That's what he's talking about here. I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you're rich. Some of the richest people I know don't have a lot materialistically, they just don't. But they are rich. They've got the, the Holy Spirit, and they've got family, and they've got all this stuff that God does and blesses them with, but they may just not have money to put together and to do some stuff with. It's okay. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. Have you ever been in that setting in a personal thing? Don't, don't like stand up and point at somebody right now. Just uh, <clears throat> have you ever, have you, Has you ever had somebody attacking you? Blasphemy said against you? I have. I have lots of times. As a pastor, that's part of the job. As a cop, that's part of the job. People are going to say stuff against you. That's part of the job. I've had people accuse me of everything that you could possibly imagine, of, of abusing my children, embezzling money, cheating on my wife, everything you could imagine I've had people accuse me of. Most of the people are stupid and don't know how to build a good enough story to make sense, more than about two minutes. But... 
but they, I've had that happen. That's called being a human, and specifically when you're a Christian, Satan's going to try to undermine you. He's going to try to do things. Sometimes some of you in this room have not got the promotion because you're a Christian. Okay. I'm not trying to make too much light of this. Don't misunderstand. It's easy for me. I'm not being flippant is what I'm saying. But it's okay. God knows. God knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows what's happening. He knows everything that you're doing. And he knows when churches go through that kind of stuff. When churches are really suffering because of their relationship with Jesus. He says, they say they are Jews, but they are not. Because their synagogue belongs to Satan. So obviously, when he's writing this to the church at Smyrna, they have been persecuted specifically by Jews, or he wouldn't have sent this to them. And these Jews are trying to attack this new thing called Christianity. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. John wrote this um, not very long after the resurrection, okay? Um, It's probably a decade or two, but that's not long in the scope of time is what I'm saying. The reason I'm saying that is because most of this church would have been, if not all, would have still been Jews. Right? This is important. These people that are attacking you, they say they're Jews, but they're not because they're from the synagogue of Satan. That's a great way to say that. That's powerful. You're from the synagogue of Satan. I thought that a dozen times or so, probably more than that over the years. I wanted to say that to somebody. You are from the synagogue of Satan. Doesn't I just roll? But, so here's the thing. These are Jews attacking Jews. <clears throat> Why is that important? Because what he's saying is, the, the way that Jesus is saying this through John is this is, uh, Jewish is not, the, he's not focusing on the bloodline here. He's focusing on the spiritual bloodline. And he's saying they say they belong to God, but they don't. They're attacking you. They say they belong to God, but they don't. What is the one of the ways that we know they don't belong to God? Because they're attacking you. And, you're, and my spirit's with you. My spirit's in the middle of these lampstands, and you're one of these lampstands. I am with you. And I know what you're going through, and these people are attacking you because my spirit is with you. Which means they're not part of the spiritual bloodline. This is... now. And let's be careful. Let's, let's, let's temper this a little bit because it's easy for us as Christians to assume anytime somebody is picking on us that Satan is using them. Okay? That's not always true. Sometimes we're wrong. Let, let's own that. Another thing is sometimes they're not trying to be bad. They're just misunderstanding what's going on or whatever the case is. Sometimes there's a balance. You're kind of wrong, but you're not kind of wrong, and they're picking on uh, maybe all of it. The, the reason I say this is I've seen this too many times where people will say things like, um, well, you know, there, I, that, I didn't get that raise, and uh, God's going to judge that boss. Maybe not. Maybe you didn't get the raise because you didn't deserve the raise. And I'm not trying to be overly critical here. I'm just saying, let's be careful to, all, to jump immediately to synagogue of Satan. Okay? That, there may not be some warrant to that all the time. You've got to look in the mirror and own some things sometimes. All right? Now, with that being said, sometimes people are picking on you just because you're a Christian. God's going to take care of them. He will take care of that. Don't, don't, don't overly sweat that stuff. Uh, just balance it out a little bit with understanding that sometimes we're the ones picking on somebody else when we shouldn't be too. 
And if you can kind of keep that in balance, to me, that tempers it the most. Because when somebody's picking on me, I think to myself, you know, I've probably done the same thing and didn't even know it. I don't always know that that's true, but I tell myself that. I, I, I just know this. I have never set out to try to ruin somebody. I've never done that. I, in my entire life, it's, well, since I've been a Christian, since about 18 or 19, I've never set out to try to ruin somebody. And I've had people that have set out to literally ruin me. Ruin my marriage, my position of pastor, ruin the church I'm pastoring. They have set out to do that. I don't understand that kind of thinking because I've never, ever in my life done that. I've said mean things to people. I've done mean things to people. And, and I was wrong. I've repented of that. But I've never set out to destroy somebody. Ever. I've never set out to destroy a marriage or family or get somebody uh, lose their job. I'm, I'm very particular about this too. When somebody works for a company or whatever and they do, they do bad service, I don't try to get their job. I don't try to get them fired. And I know Christians that'll do that. Well, they don't need to work there. I'm going to get them fired. You better be careful of that. That's their livelihood. They may have just had a bad day. We, this is a silly example. This is, I could give you actually better legitimate, but this is just a silly one. We, we were at Sonic one time. My family pulled in and we bought some stuff. And, and, um, and uh, this, they, it took them forever. It took them, they for, I think what happens is they forgot we were there. You push the button again, and they're like, you, you know they forgot when they say, hey, welcome to Sonic. No, we had this conversation, <laughs> and I ordered stuff. This is not welcome to Sonic. This is, where's my order? That's what we're... So, you know, they're welcome to Sonic. I'm like, ah, so we start all over. And now this is in Denver, and, and it was a difficult part of town, so I know that that, that all plays into it. But um, they finally bring the order, and, uh, we got a, and there was a bunch of change. The, the, the girl that brought it out had, didn't have any dollars, and I'd given cash. She has, like, this handful of change. So she's just, like, dumping this change in my hands, like four or five dollars, and I was like, you know what? Just, just keep. It. I don't want. I don't want change. I don't ever like change. I don't want to put it in my pockets. I don't want it. I just keep the change. She looked at it and counted it in her head. I guess I don't know. She took about three steps back to the Sonic, and then turned around and threw all the change at us, and then cussed us out. Walked in the store. I don't know why. My, I mean, our family has enjoyed that ever since then, but still. I didn't, I didn't call to get her job, but I, now I did, I did call the Sonic and I said, uh, is this some energy? Yeah. There's a bunch of change all over the parking lot. Uh, one of your people threw it at me. And he said, man, I don't care. Knock up the phone. <laughs> I was like, they are having a bad day. <laughs> I know, I know Christians that would do everything they could to get that girl fired. Think about this. Please don't say that. I, <laughs> think about this. Guys, we better be careful with that kind of stuff. Be careful when we put somebody in the category of synagogue of Satan. Because you may be wrong and you don't want to play that game with God. That's not between you and an individual anymore. It's between you and God. Don't play that game. Now, can, can people be part of the synagogue of Satan Yes, I have seen it. I have experienced it. And you might have too. But be careful with that. Let God be the one to take care of them. Okay? 
He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. They're going to pick on you. They're going to say things. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I really believe that this is a sentence the church right now needs to embrace a little bit. Church, we're going to suffer some things coming up. I don't know if you were paying attention, but two different national politicians this last week said that churches should be put into a terrorist list because we're not going along with the LGBT uh, um, guidelines, the LGBT thought process. Okay? Two different, one of them is running for president. Okay? Now, why is this a big deal? Because that sentence, the church is getting to a point right now where this sentence is extremely important. Don't be afraid for what you're about to suffer. I don't think the church is really, in America, has gone through suffering. I don't think we really have. But I think it is coming quickly. If you had asked me six months ago, I would have said in the next ten years or so, we're going to be dealing with this. If you had asked me two months ago, I would have said in the next three or four years where the church is going to be going through suffering. I believe right now, I would say within a year, if you're looking outside a year where the church starts seeing major persecution, you're probably being a little naive. I really believe we're, it's, we're, it's quickly upon us. This is, this is so important why we need to be the true church. You will, the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. Um, I don't know exactly. I looked up and I tried to figure out exactly what that sentence is about. I don't know. I, I take things literally first in Scripture, so apparently 10 days was important to them. Right? But some people say that just means a time frame. I don't think it just means a time frame because he said 10. <laughs> That's why I don't think. Usually when he said time frames, he said frames of time and stuff like that. But he says 10 days. Okay? But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. This is, this is really cool. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. I, I, I grew up in the mentality where people would always say, when you do good things, you're going to get a, a jewel in your crown. Anybody ever heard that? You're going to get a, that, that's not in the Bible, okay? That <laughs> doesn't exist. Jesus doesn't give you jewels in your crown. Um, now, here's one you might want to process just a little bit. I'm not even sure that the average Christian gets a crown. Now, follow me with this. There's only a, a, a few places that talks about this. And one of them kind of alludes to that everybody could get a crown. So I'm not going to just say it doesn't happen. But it's saying specifically when you're facing death, I will give you a crown. Who were the, who were the 24 elders that threw their crowns down? Twelve of those were the apostles that were killed. Except John, killed. Okay, so process this just a little bit. Now, I'm not against, I'm not like anti-crown Christian. That's not who I am. I'm just saying, think about this a little bit. To, to be handed a crown, there may be a little bit um, more than just stepping into heaven. Right? Just, just think about that a little bit. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. So I want to break some things down right here in this, the two things, and, and just kind of go through some scriptures and prove some of this to us just a little bit. All right, because that, that, that statement, the second death, that's a huge thing. You will not be harmed by the second death. Um, my mother just experienced the first death Wednesday. That's the first death. We're all going to experience that unless you go on the rapture. Okay? The second death is eternity. There is a second death. Okay? So the first thing here is the real church will go through suffering. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. When you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities... Don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will 
teach you at that time what needs to be said. I've always loved this sentence because it goes against a lot of kind of modern evangelical slash Pentecostal church thinking. Without realizing it, this little scripture here tears down some things that a lot of the Pentecostal charismatic church holds very dear to them theologically because they're wrong. He says, when you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities. It doesn't say because you're following Jesus, you will not be brought before rulers and authorities. See, kind of that prosperity gospel I got caught up in 25 years ago told you that anything that bad happened to you was because you were sinning. If you're poor, it's because you were sinning. If you're sick, it's because you were sinning. We went, Lynn and I went and sat at a restaurant one time with a, with a relative of ours we had just lost our third child, and we went and sat at a restaurant. So we're, we're um, early 20s still. We're, we're 24, 25 at this time. And we go sit at this restaurant so this relative of ours could explain to us for an hour and a half the reason that we lost the child is because we had sin in our life. I, I didn't need to hear that stupidity. But here's the thing is I was still young enough and not theologically sound enough I kind of believed what they said for a couple of years. And I really thought through, yeah, I'm not the greatest of guys. And, and here's the reality. I was serving Jesus with everything I had. I wasn't not serving Jesus. I was giving him everything I had. I was the greatest youth pastor that had ever lived. <laughs> and this guy says this, and, and I kind of bought into it. Look at this again. When, not if, when you are brought to trial. See, I really believe that the, the, the true church will suffer, for, will suffer persecution. The true church will. Not maybe, they will. If they stand for what Jesus has said, they will. Because Satan does not like that. He says, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what needs to be said. That's, that's all we have to worry about is Holy Spirit, when time comes, make sure I'm saying the right stuff. To me, this is the same thing out of Acts chapter 4. They're being persecuted, put in jail, and they pray for boldness. They don't pray for rescue. They pray for boldness. The church has got to think this way. We don't think this way. When we're being persecuted, oh Lord, and sometimes God's the one doing something to us, and we're blaming Satan and, and rebuking the devil, and God saying, I did this. I'm trying to get your attention. When, when we go before the Lord, he wants to know that we were faithful, not that we try to figure a way out of it. And I don't believe it's always God's plan to give us a way out. It was very important that Paul go to Rome and that Paul stand before the rulers in Rome. The end result is he was going to get beheaded. But the, but the interim, and we see, we see little clues of this along the way, where, where leaders like Festus and stuff like that, they were saying, this guy is saying stuff outside my scope. I can't deal with this. Spiritually, he's getting in my head and I can't deal with this. That's why Paul went to Rome. You may be put in a circumstance where you speak truth. And that's what changes a life. That's what changes somebody's soul. And somebody may really attack you for that. Guys, we can't, we can't try to get out of all of this stuff. Holy Spirit, just give me the words to say. Matthew 10, 10 verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Christians, you're supposed to think like that. Shrewd as snakes. 
Don't be stupid. Don't be naive. Don't just be wishy-washy. This is part of the deal with all this stuff we've seen over the last three or four months. How many churches and how many Christians I, I've watched just be wishy-washy, wishy-washy, just back and forth, just that, that ship without a rudder, just to and fro and to a... Get your course on Jesus and stay there. Don't pay attention to all this stuff. You do not need your worldview determined by CNN. You need your worldview determined by the Word of God. Get there, get your rudder where it needs to be, and stay there. Don't go with whoever says the next thing. Stay there. Just because our society says right now that the police are bad, they're wrong. They're just wrong. That's how simple it is. Oh, the police are all racist. They're wrong. Police are black and Chinese and Korean and African. Every, ah. Don't let society tell you this stuff. There's, there's bad people, yes, but that doesn't determine everybody. Churches are bad, no. People are wrong. Are some churches bad? Yes. But don't let, don't let culture tell you what you think. Let God and the Holy Spirit tell you what to think. And stay there. Just get there. It says, be shrewd as snakes, harmless as doves, but beware. For you will be handed over to the courts and you will be flawed with whips in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and the other, other believers about, unbelievers about me. And there's the key. Sometimes you're going to go through persecution specifically so somebody can hear the gospel. Specifically for that. I always think of, I can't remember his name, the guy who carried Jesus' cross. And his two boys. That guy pulled out of the crowd. You know that mess with him the rest of his life. He carried the cross of Jesus. And then later he hears, this guy is the Messiah. And then he hears about, maybe he saw him, I don't know, but the miracles, all this stuff. And he carried the cross. Now think about this. If there's any place in all of the crucifixion account where Jesus could have set me, I wish he would have set me right there and I could have carried Jesus' cross. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you rather have done that than anything? Think about it, that sometimes the moment can be difficult and persecuting, whatever, but it's because of Jesus that we're doing this stuff. People need to hear about Jesus. When you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. That's why you better make it a priority to walk in the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit regularly, constantly, all the time. Be being filled. Be being filled. Praying in the Spirit. Praying, that's how you get power. Praying in the Spirit. Why? Because you need the Holy Spirit. You don't know when. You don't know exactly know when you need it, but the Holy Spirit knows when He needs to give you something. A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. Children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you're my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. And that's the key. Enduring to the end. Not getting along now, but endure. Focus. It's not about making uh, everybody like you now. It's about get your direction on Jesus and you will be saved. Even if you don't make friends along the way. Number two, the real church will receive the crown of life. James 1 verse 12. God blesses those who patiently do our testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So this is the sentence where it appears that everybody gets a crown. Except for the fact 
that it says that you will patiently endure testing and temptation. So that kind of ups the ante just a little there. Because I know that a lot of Christians don't endure this stuff, testing and temptation. Now, here's where, here's where you break it down and you decide, because I, I believe over to this side. Okay, here's where you decide what you think about this. Are you really a Christian if you never deal with testing and temptation? That's the question you need to answer. I don't, I don't believe Christians can be Christians without enduring this stuff. So the reason I say that is because we have built a Christianity in America that is so lazy and so middle of the road and so fence riding that we can go for years and years and never see anything great or negative. It's just kind of, that's my church life. No power, no supernatural stuff, no witnessing to anybody, nobody getting saved, nobody getting healed, nobody getting set free, but, I, but, but it's a good Christian life. And I believe that's actually where the lie is. That's not real Christianity. How can you go your entire life and never witness to somebody and then stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, I did what you called me to do? Never witness, which is what he's called us all to. Every one of us, never witness and still think, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well. I have, walked by, I have walked by sinners every day and watched them die and go to hell and I never cared but Jesus is going to say to me, well done. I, I struggle with that. I don't struggle with it. I know what I think. First Peter chapter 5. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. This one's kind of more for me. It, it really is for pastors. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. No, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Now, since we are all called to be royal priests, I think it kind of applies to all of us. You have a flock that you're um, over. What are you doing about it? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And this is a key thing about the church. This is a major key thing about the church. The church is supposed to be eagerly looking forward to his return. Eagerly looking forward to his return. Not just going through the motions and going to church and doing stuff. But eagerly looking for it. That means you're living with the mentality that Jesus is coming back today. You say, well, he didn't come back today. He's coming back tomorrow. And I'm going to live like it. I'm going to think like it. I'm going to be like it. Eagerly looking forward. Revelation 20, verse 5. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead did not come back to life until the thousand years had ended. And that lets us know that, uh, that this is another this is another thing that shows us that the church is raptured, okay? Regardless of whether you believe in, in, in pre-mid or trib, uh, post-trib, uh, the church is raptured, okay? That lets you know that. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For then the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. The second death holds no power. The second death comes after the... the uh, Millennial reign. All right? And I, uh, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. And the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. 
That's a great sentence. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. I've talked about the books and book and all that. The sea gave up its dead, and the death in the grave gave up their dead. The, 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 the sea gave its dead. This is a big thing because I get this question every now and then about um, cremation. Is cremation biblically okay? I don't get it as much anymore, but 15 years ago, that's, people would ask that all the time. The church didn't believe in cremation. The best I can figure is because the, the Indians used to burn their dead, and they were animists. That's the closest I can come up to understanding that one. There's nothing wrong with cremation. It's actually the best way, health-wise, to deal with dead bodies. Okay? So if you're a Christian, you're processing that. Think about it. The same way, I think maybe some of the reason is because it's like, well, if you burn your body, God can't put all the bones back together. <laughs> I don't know. But it specifically says here, the sea gave up its dead. Why? Because being in the, thrown in the ocean as a dead body, sharks are going to eat you. Other fish are going to eat you. But God's still bigger. Okay, I don't understand sometimes why we do things as a church. Where do we come up with stuff? Like, well, it's a good thing he said out of the sea because you can't do it from a fire. So the sea gave up its dead and the death and the grave gave up their dead and they were all judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. That's a great, that's a great moment. Death and the grave, we will never be affected by this again. This lake of fire is the second death. The death and the grave will be thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Who's going to experience a second death? Anybody's name who is not written in the book of life. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown to the lake of fire with death in the grave. That's eternal. That's an that's a end-of-the-road statement. There's, there's, no, there's nothing after that. Revelation 21, verse 8, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral... Those who practice witchcraft, idol worship, and liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> so as a church, what are we supposed to do? Same thing we're always supposed to do. Pursue Jesus. Pursue Jesus with everything about us. Pursue Jesus, and then what's the other half of that? Reach people with the gospel. Guys, if you, if you think any of this stuff going on in our society right now is, is important at all and has anything to do with any kind of end-time direction, you better be telling your neighbors and your friends and your family about Jesus. You better, you better be doing that. My, my mother was a Christian pretty much all her life. Well, they, she was as a kid, then they got saved when I was about four years old. That's when we, our family started going to church. And I, and I so appreciated this Just a, f- a few days before she died, I saw my dad lean down and he whispered in her ear, Pat, do you know Jesus? And I thought, she knows Jesus, but good job, Dad. Don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Guys, don't take it for granted right now. You and your spouse, talk about it. Ask him on the way home, do you know Jesus? Now, don't say it right after they said something smart aleck to you. But, but ask them. Talk to your kids. Parents, don't ever be embarrassed about talking about this stuff to your kids. Ask your kids. 
Do you know Jesus? You say, well, my kid's 35 years old. Call them on the phone and ask them, do they know Jesus? Pursue God and let's reach people. Let's be the church. Let's be the church. God, right now we just repent. We stand before you with an attitude, a spirit, a heart of repentance. Lord, we want to be the church you've called us to be. We want to be the people you've called us to be. Forgive us. Forgive us when we get our minds wrong and our spirit and our heart wrong. Forgive us when we treat people in the way we're not supposed to. Forgive us when we get so selfish and self-focused we think everything really is about us. Lord, forgive us when we go through our life and we don't talk about you. Forgive us for not witnessing. Forgive us. And Lord, we want to pursue you. I pray that for me, Lord, I want to pursue you. I don't want to reach people for you. Forgive me when I don't. Help us to pursue you. So Holy Spirit, move to this place. Every one of us, just move to this place. Convict us. And also, Lord, Put a resolve in our spirit that we will stand for you and that we won't, we won't run from suffering. But we will stand for you. That we won't try to be politically correct, but we'll stand for you. That we won't just go along with the crowd of the day, but we will stand for you. In the name of Jesus. Because you're the king. I'm not going to serve anybody else. I'm not going to bow my knee to anybody else or anything else. I'm going to bow my knee to the King. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And God, we pray. Touch our country. Touch our country. We are so messed up. encourage you with this as we go. Find some time this week where you section off time that's just the Lord's. I know some of you may already do this. You have time devotion or whatever. But but I know statistically that a lot of us in this room don't do that on a regular basis. So, so, so please, let me push your world a little bit. Cut off some time. It's just you and Jesus. Nobody else. No TV, no radio, no nothing. Turn computers off. Cut out a little time that's just you and Jesus and just talk to him. Talk to him about you. Talk to him about your family. Talk to him about your world, your your country. Talk to him about your soul, your spirit. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. And I think God will do something. I think God is just waiting for us to be a people that will pursue him. He's just waiting. Man, he'll do some great stuff. All right, so before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Take the opportunity. You may have to shout all the way across the restaurant to the other people in there. But uh, tell somebody about Jesus. Tell your neighbor. Tell your friends. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand from a distance. Hug their neck from a distance. And we will see you guys Wednesday night.
I'm sad. 